All right, welcome in everyone. This is Connor in coverage. I am joined by a special guest tonight, Mike Griffith. We are live here from Hoover, Alabama, recapping day two of SEC Media Days. Georgia was on tap today. We heard from Ole Miss, Matt Corral. We talked a little bit to uh, Tennessee Josh Heupel, Kentucky head coach Mark Stoops. But I'm here with Mike, special guest. So I figure, Mike, what was your biggest number one takeaway from today? You know, Kirby's comfort, right? You know, Kirby is an intense guy that's always got something to do. And he made that point today that he's too busy to worry about expectations. But I dare I say enjoyed it today, right? He brought two players with him that he really believes in, that he really likes. I mean, JT Daniels and Jordan Davis are tremendous ambassadors for Georgia and, and two key players. And I think Kirby's sitting at the card table right now, Connor, knowing that he's holding a good hand. Yeah, I, I think today you hear the confidence that JT Daniels spoke with you, the confidence that Jordan Davis talked with. I, I think they're taking that cue from Kirby Smart. They felt loose. I mean, hearing the guys talk, you, you take notes of who's a good speaker, who's polished or not. The Georgia guys felt as comfortable and confident as anybody that was up there, and I take that as a good sign for this coming season. A little bit of news out there, obviously some injury stuff. George Pickens running in a straight line, but he's still not, you know, still got a long way to go from knowing where we're going to be with that. Dominic Blaylock still not yet clear with his ACL injury. I know a lot of people were asking about that. Kyrus Jackson had a little cleanup surgery, but he's expected to be good for go, good to go for the start of fall camp. Kobe Dean should be good to go as well with MJ Sherman. They both had labrum surgery back in January. And then Marcus Rosemary Jack Saint had a sprained ankle during summer workouts. But the expectation for him, it sounds like, is that he could be good to go for the start of both fall practice and the potential season, which could be a big boost for the Georgia wide receiver room. So on the, on the news front, what really caught your eye today, Mike? Yeah, the Kyrus Jackson surgery. I, I think Kyrus is a guy that we that we underrate. I really do. I know that you know he, he doesn't run the 4-2-3 like Arian mm -hmm. Smith. He doesn't have the tremendous body control like George Pickens. He doesn't run the perfect route like Dominic Blaylock. He's not six foot five and 240, but he's just a guy, Connor, that keeps getting it done. Mm -hmm. And every time Kyrus speaks, uh, I'm so impressed press. You can tell he's well respected by his teammates and, and I think he's going to be a real security blanket. I know JT can lay it off to the yep. backs and I know the tight end but I just feel like Kiaris Jackson's going to be that guy that JT Daniels can find in the dark and I think he's a very important component to the team and I know that Kirby said he'll be ready for fall but these cleanups they don't always go perfect so just you know crossing your fingers that Kiaris comes back clean from the arthroscopic procedure because mm -hmm. I think he's a real leader and a guy they need in the huddle. Yeah and I mentioned as well today Kirby Smart says he Expects Arik Gilbert to be cleared. I guess that's news. I don't know. I don't know the official designation. He's still not officially officially cleared. But you know, Georgia. If Georgia was going to bring in a guy like Arik Gilbert with scholarship numbers being what they are, you would expect that he was going to be cleared. So I guess Kirby coming out and saying that it's another positive sign today. I think the interesting thing on Gilbert, from my perspective, JT Daniels talking about it. The direct quote from him was: "There are a lot of good players that like this game." Eric Gilbert is a good player that loves this game. And so if you're a Georgia fan, I think that's a positive sign for what you might potentially see out of him this year as well. Oh, there's no question, Connor, because this is a complicated offense. Just ask Jamie Newman if you can find him. I mean, this is going to take some time for, the, for Eric Gilbert to learn. He wasn't here for spring drills. And there's a lot of other receivers that were. And so much of what JT's going to do is going to be at the line of scrimmage. And we know JT's going to make the right read. But the trick here is that the receiver has to make the right read. I had a defensive coordinator. Connor tell me this. There was a time when defenses used to try to fool the quarterback. You really can't do that to JT, so you try to fool the receivers. Yep. So this is why it's so important that Eric Gilbert and JT Daniels get that chemistry. I know that JT's been giving him a little extra attention.
attention in these individual workouts, but there's nothing like game reps. And I just don't know what the, I know you're asking the questions, but I got to ask you, if I'm asking you what Eric Gilbert's stat line is for Clemson, what would you say is the over-under right now? I'm going to be super conservative here. I'll say like three catches for 48 yards. Uh, If he has a big game, I wouldn't be shocked just given I think he's that good of a player. But to expect that early on from him in this office, especially when like Jermaine Burton, I think he's going to be a stud. Darnell Washington is going to be a guy you're going to need to get the ball to. John Fitzpatrick as well. JT said it today. They have a lot of options on offense, and the problem is there's only one ball. So to expect Eric Gilbert to be a monster in that first game, I think is putting a lot on a guy who just got here in the summer. But, you know, I think Gilbert could be a guy if they see Clemson again at the end of the season, if they see Alabama in the SEC championship game, if they see Texas A&M there potentially, Brandon Adams' favorite team. I think that's where Gilbert really factors into it. I did say there was one quote that I really enjoyed from JT Daniels today. It was discussing preseason rankings and hype. Uh, he's probably going to be second team all, all SEC quarterback behind Matt Corral. And we can get into that Corral Daniels a little bit because I have a story on that coming tomorrow morning. He said – Preseason rankings are fine. When people tell you that you're good, it's cool. When people tell you that you suck, it's cool. And I saw put that on a T-shirt. There's your slogan for 2021 for this Georgia team. When people tell you you're good, it's cool. When people tell you you suck, it's cool too. But does it trump if you're going to recruit George Pickens, you better throw to him, yeah. quote. I mean, there was no – you know, to me that was a real defining moment. That was JT being JT. And you just got to know that somewhere Kirby was going – not sure if I like that. I yeah. might like that. I might. This kid might have something here. He's got a pretty good point. That chemistry between mm-hmm. Kirby and JT, it's pretty obvious that the trust factor is there. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want. And, and, and obviously Kirby trusted Jake too, and you know it was close to him. But for JT to come in and this quickly, Connor, mm-hmm. to win win Kirby over, I think that's important if this offense is going to open up the way it needs. To. I mean, Kirby Smart never publicly named Jake from the starter the way he did, especially this early on with JT Daniels. I think there's, and maybe this is just because of JT's background coming from California, playing at USC, where, you know, USC football is probably the biggest football team in the city of Los Angeles. And the pressure that comes with that, I I think, allows you to have certain confidence and feel a certain way to where you get up in front of a room of of SEC reporters. You're not, not to say that Jake Fromm would have been intimidated, but that was not something that Jake Fromm would ever really, you know, he would not give the performance that JT Daniels gave today. Moving gears here a little bit and moving to the rest of the SEC picture at large, do you want to talk about Tennessee, a school you know well and covered, or do you want to talk about a one-time coach at Tennessee who you have had some sharp criticism for over the years in one lane, Kiffin? Wow, you know, I don't know what to say about Tennessee. You know, I just, at this point, they've been devastated by transfers. Uh, you know, I, you know, we talked a little bit about it yesterday. The energy, can they have the energy? And I just, you know, they're just kind of there, man. And they, and they might surprise me. You know, what will be intriguing is when Lane Kiffin goes back to Tennessee. And, and I can't help but think, Connor, and I'm going to tie Kiffin in Tennessee into the Georgia discussion. So one of the biggest news stories to me last week, one of the most shocking, most appalling, was that Tennessee scheduled Georgia as their homecoming opponent. And I'm having flashbacks to the week that I heard, hey, did you hear that, that Butch Jones and Tennessee are going to check her Nealon Stadium and Peyton Manning's coming back for that Georgia game? And 20, I said, you're doing what? You're checkering Neyland Stadium for Georgia, and Peyton's going to be here? Have you lost your mind? You know, and all that's going to be all right. They're going to wear the smoky grays. It fires them up. I said, not against that Georgia team. And and this is kind of the same deal. This reminds me of, of Eli Dinkwitz, excuse me, Eli Drinkwitz, oh who last year, you got a noon kickoff, 30-degree weather, you got some sleeping dogs coming in, and you're going to announce to the world that this is your measuring stick game. I mean, a little common sense here, Coach. Yeah, I, I, so I 
I, I don't like it, but but I wonder, Connor, it, did Tennessee want to avoid making Lane Kiffin the homecoming game and that only left Georgia? That's the only thing I can think. Right, because you, you, you just, I mean, Lane Kiffin, a professional troll, a master class troll, came out there today, you know, the, the Bryce Young report that he is getting a six-figure NLI deal near seven, near seven figures, a million dollars. He really just was blown away by that. As I think, like, that's a natural reaction to have for Bryce Young, a guy who's extremely talented, followed JT Jan Daniels at Matter Day, mm -hmm. but has never played a game, had never started a college football game. I, I think... Don't don't give Lane Kiffin a reason to make that game bigger than it already needs to be. And so because that you make it Georgia, you understand you're probably going to lose to Georgia anyway. But it gets fans excited later on in the season than it traditionally would. So I get it. I just you know you touched on the energy around Josh Heupel. You know, Vol Twitter, Vol Nation, they are extremely passionate. You cannot deny them of that. Josh Heupel felt like it was like listening to Gus Malzahn. There was just not a lot of enthusiasm out there. And I was talking to my buddy, one of my buddies, Ben Portnoy, who covers South Carolina, and, you know, Shane Beamer's rebuilding there. But, like, South Carolina might be, like, the third best team in the – or the, the fourth or fifth best team in the SEC East this year because Tennessee's going to be way down. Vanderbilt's going to be way down. So the bottom of the SEC East, which I think you have to put Tennessee in there, is just clearly as down as it can be. Changing gears here a little bit. We'll touch on, LS, on Ole Miss because I want to tie this into a bigger discussion because I think myself, you, and Brandon Adams all have different opinions on who is the second-best team in the SEC West. I think right now we have to say it. We, we can still say Alabama unless you feel strongly that they're not. I, I think they still are the best team in the SEC West. But there are compelling cases for a number of teams. So who, in your opinion, is the second-best team in the SEC West? Yeah, I, you know, and I wonder about the A&M quarterback situation. I don't, you know, look, it's what, year four for Jimbo Fisher, I believe? You know, he's done a good job recruiting and building. And, and that A&M team that I saw play play Georgia, you know, they, they were pretty game. I, you know, I don't know. It's not like Kellen Mond is Superman or anything. In fact, I thought he was pretty ordinary, frankly. I mean, you know, he got drafted. But I just I just can't LSU. I, I just the speed, uh, the vibe, the quarterback play. I, I'm going to go with LSU, Connor, and I could be way wrong. You know, a lot of this has to do with how the program manages the off-the-field distractions because I thought that was a big part of what happened last year was, you know, the, the, the way the uh, – the, uh, sexual assault uh, violations and reporting was uh, scrutinized. I thought that was a big distraction for the program. Are they really out of the woods or does that come up again? I think that could play a role. But but if you're A&M and you're paying Jimbo Fisher $74 million and, and, and you're paying players $10,000, you know, to say hello or whatever, you know, at some point you got to back it up. And, and fans are probably getting a little restless now, right? And, and if you're going to get Alabama, and I agree with you and Brandon, that, that the tide has to be the standard until proven otherwise. But look, they just lost six first round guys. They lost a quarterback. They lost two tremendous receivers. They lost a, a Remington Trophy center. They lost a first round left tackle. They lost a marquee first round run. If you can't get, and they got a new coordinator, they lost Sarkeesian. If you don't get Alabama this year, Connor, I don't know when I, you do. It's, I think, a rather large question that Georgia's going to have to emphatically answer come December, I guess, 4th, 5th, whenever the SEC championship game is. A&M, I think you hit the nail on the head. They were a ground-and-pound team last year. They thrived on their running game. They do bring their running backs back. But they have to replace four to five starters on their offensive line. And, well, yes, Jimbo has recruited well there. When you are so dependent on that one style and you have to make that sort of change of on the offensive line, I do wonder about that. The team I'm really interested in is Ole Miss. I think they are the highest variance team in that I think the offense is going to be able to score and produce points. And the question with them is, can their defense go from awful, one of the worst in the country, 
to just average? Can they go from like the 124th defense to the 70th defense? Because Lane Kiffin, say what you want about him as, as a character, as a CEO, guy's a great offensive mind, and he's going to be able to put up points. If Matt Corral can cut down on his interceptions, where he threw 11 in two games last year, if he can cut back on that, this is a team that I think, you know, we saw them make it interesting against Alabama. They didn't get a chance to play AM last year, but I think that would have been an interesting game. LSU is a team I think they gave a lot of problems to and can do so again. But then they could certainly lose all those games, and then they have to go play Liberty as well, a Hugh Freeze team that's going to be certainly motivated in that game. So I think whoever that second team in the SEC West they're going to have earned it because there's just so much variance, I think, between AM, LSU, and Ole Miss right there. Yeah, you said it. You know, you got the six interception game against Arkansas, and then you got, what, five or six touchdowns against Vandy. I'd, I'd like to see his numbers if you took out the highest and the mm -hmm. lowest of Corral, but, but you're right. I mean, that's a program that can beat, you know, you almost feel like you want to say they can beat anybody on a given Saturday, right? right? But they can lose to anybody. Exactly. So I, I wonder about the innards of that program. You know, one of the things JT and bringing it back to George a little bit, JT and they brought up, they talked about that team DNA. And, you know, Kirby, kind of digging deeper, you know, talking about taking some time away from football to meet with these guys, mm -hmm. make sure everyone's on the same page and that the proper norms are established. I mean, this was a tough year. And, you know, Kirby's talking about three-level, you know, three-dimensional chess here with some of the meetings that George is having and the character of the program, the things that I think help get you through in the end. Do we believe that old Miss is to there yet? Do we believe Tennessee? No. This is a Georgia program that's grown and matured. And to me, that's part of what makes them. You know, the talent is one thing. But that's part of what separates programs and, and, and makes one a championship contender. Ending it sort of here, I, I found it really interesting. JT Daniels got asked about this, but Kirby Smart did a masterful job sort of talking about things, filibustering his way out. I think 16-minute opening statement. And then doesn't really talk about the team and all that much specifics. He was asked a little bit about the transfer. I'm talking in the big room. But none of the national media members, Wahoos, radio hosts, wherever they come from, Asked him championship robust now or never. He never got that question in the big room, and so I guess I'm not saying we're asking that now because I think we all believe that you know, Georgia's championship window is wide open so long as Kirby keeps doing the program management aspect that he continues to do. But this season, you touch on Alabama earlier. If not now, when? What kind of pressure? Not as Kirby Smart under, but is this specific 2021 team under? to sort of do the job this year? You know, I think there's a little bit from the standpoint of, you, you know, Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt came back, mm -hmm. Cook came back. You know, uh, you know, Zamir White is back. You know, JT is you got a quarterback like JT Daniels for at least one more year. Um, you know, Justin Schaefer came back. Uh, Jamari Salyer came back. You know, they, they, they came back to win a title. There's going to be a lot of attrition. I think we all agree. You know, Georgia this year had nine guys drafted. I, I'm of the mindset they're going to have more next year, yep. Connor. I'd, I'd probably say 11 or 12. If they don't, something something very very bad has gone wrong. Right. So I see that there's a sense of urgency in terms of how the program's maturing and also because we think maybe, maybe, I don't want to say Alabama's ever down, but it's an Alabama team that's in reload mode right now. It's also a Florida team that's heavily in reload. Not, not that I don't think they could beat Florida's best. They beat them three years in a row. But it's a Florida team in reload. I think right. the schedule, you know, the, they finally got us. Last year's schedule was not good. The year before, five teams had a bye week before. They've had tough schedules. This year's schedule is very favorable. Mm -hmm. And all conditions look look pretty. Everything looks pretty clean for takeoff. Now, by halftime, Connor, we might be going, oh, my God, can you believe that guy? You know, but, but so right now, so to me, it looks like a great opportunity, mm -hmm. which is not to say there won't be more. But when you take all those other factors into right. consideration, it, it kind of looks like clear skies. It's not so much that Georgia is 
punching so much above where it has been in years past. And I don't know if this team is better than certainly 2017. A 2018 team was really, really good as well. But it's everyone else is sort of at least to start the season level down a little bit. Clemson has to replace Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne. Ohio State has to replace Justin Fields. Alabama, obviously, all the guys they have to replace as well there. So, again, I'm not saying Georgia needs to win a national championship this year, but it does a lot of good for this program if they get back to the playoff and sort of prove that 2017 wasn't a one-off. I don't think anyone here actually believes that, but they need to get back and get into that second playoff spot so that they can no longer say, oh, yeah, we're like Washington, Oregon, Florida State, Michigan State, for example, and we're much closer to the Oklahomas, uh, Clemsons, Alabama, and Ohio States of the world. You're bringing up 2018. You know I'm going to flash back on you. I'm going to remind everybody that the Oklahoma AD, the Georgia Tech AD, and the Florida AD are no longer on the college football playoffs like you really did. That 2018 team did belong in the playoffs. I'll always believe that. This year's team, I think, should get their counter. I'm not of the mindset, though. I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid that Georgia uh, can lose the SEC championship and get in if they beat Clemson. I don't I don't think we're going to see that again with the 14 playoff. I think Alabama pulled it off, but I think politically Politically, and, and, and I think that's part of the reason why Georgia got left out uh, in 2018. Um, I'm still a little surprised Notre Dame got in after a 34 to 10 loss. Uh, I would have liked to have seen A&M get that slot, but you know the college football playoff committee, as Kirby said, they kind of change the metrics every year. Yep. This year's team, regardless of Clemson, and don't get me wrong, I know Georgia fans want this. I know it's a, a classic game. Everybody wants the oil painting moment, uh, but they've got to win the SEC. You can you you can't afford to lose to Clemson. I'm not saying you want to or it's a good thing, but I'm saying you could lose to Clemson and still win a national championship. Yep, and that Clemson game, September 4th, college game day is going to be there. That gets announced today. We're all really looking forward to it. I believe we are now, we have six Saturdays left until Georgia Clemson officially happens, so we're looking forward to it. We're counting it down. Mike's actually going to be at ACC Media Days later this week getting you guys content on Clemson. I'll be here for another day getting you content from ACC Media Days. We'll be back next Tuesday, obviously. Thursday's a huge recruiting day. Branson Robinson, Danny Dennis Sutton, both announcing that day, two major Georgia targets. You've got Brandon Adams every Monday through Friday. Justin Tell on vacation this week. We'll be back next week. And Sunday? And Sunday night, we have KM Squared, Kendall Milton, Kenny McIntosh talking anything you can really imagine. We're going to have a ton of fun with that show. It's going to be a great time. So make sure you stay tuned into Dog Nation content. This has been Connor in coverage. From Mike Griffith, I'm Connor Riley. Thank you guys so much for tuning in tonight. <laughs>